0: Amen. Right, hopefully you've still got your finger in Mark 14. Just so you're aware, in December we're going to be having a break from Mark, so we're going to be um, doing some Christmas stuff uh, and uh, and, uh, preaching on the Christmas story. So this is the last one of Mark for 2014, and then we'll come back to it in the new year. So Mark 14, 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed from a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements didn't agree, Then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony didn't agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy, what do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around them, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses and swore at them. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed a second time. Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Perhaps you saw in the news this week uh, a story of um, a court case between a politician and a policeman. And uh, the court case was about one of them said something that they shouldn't have said, allegedly. And the court case was around who who was telling the truth. Was the policeman telling the truth or the politician? And you had lots of different people coming to support either side saying no no this man is a man of integrity he wouldn't say something like that and coming another's coming out on the the policeman's side this man is a man of integrity he wouldn't say something he wouldn't make something up like that who could be trusted who had integrity whose private life matched up with their public life see here in this passage we see that there is a test of integrity for Jesus and for Peter. Are they the same when they're put to the test? There's three things really I want to draw out from this passage that integrity means as we understand it here. Firstly, that integrity means not prejudging Jesus' message. It means Jesus says who he says he is and it means Jesus can always be trusted So firstly, integrity means not prejudging Jesus' message. So Jesus is brought before these top religious leaders. There's a court situation. You know, last week we saw how Jesus had been betrayed by his friend Judas and how men had been sent to arrest him. See, they'd been plotting to arrest him for a while. They wanted to put him to death. Why? Well, over the last few months, he's been um, challenging the religious leader's authority, really saying, you know, you, you guys have just been peddling dead religion. There's no sense of God in what you're doing. You're doing these external things, but you, you're missing God. You're missing, you're missing what it's all about. And they're looking for a way to silence him. They're looking for a way to put him to death. They'd already made their decision so first they try and trap him with something he said he said he would destroy the temple and then uh, rebuild it in 3 days with not with human hands but the problem was that their story didn't agree the, the claims of the witnesses didn't match up and they couldn't make it a clear accusation interestingly jesus did say something similar to that and it's recorded in the gospel of john in chapter two, he says, "Destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days." But actually, he wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about himself. He was talking about his body. He was talking about his death and his resurrection. And anyway, even if he had been talking about destroying the temple and um, rebuilding it in three days, that wasn't—that wouldn't deserve the death sentence. That wouldn't be enough. One, in natural terms, it's not possible. It took years for the temple to be built. So it's more of a crazy claim than anything. They just say, you know, this guy's a crazy man. He's talking nonsense. You know, I am no DIY expert, but this would have been a supernatural act. It took me three days just to redecorate our bathroom. It did. And, uh, but. But I know, someone couldn't destroy and rebuild a whole temple in three days. I, 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 get, I get annoyed when I hear of people who say, oh, we had a free evening, so we decorated the downstairs. And you think, <laughs> <laughs> it takes me three days to do a little bathroom. But I know that's not possible. Not naturally. So this wasn't a, This wasn't blasphemy. See, if they can find him guilty of blasphemy, they can put him to death. Blasphemy, that if they can find him guilty of insulting God, of saying insults about God, about against the name of God, then they can put him to death. That's punishable by death. But it says they can't find, they can't find anyone who can testify well to give a reason. See, they're looking for a reason to reject and condemn Jesus. See, in every other way, they have rejected Jesus and his message. And they want to feel justified. They want to feel they've got a reason to condemn him. Do you know, I want to suggest that our modern society is not that dissimilar to that. People want a reason to reject Jesus. They want a reason to reject Christianity. Don't you know that religion starts all sorts of wars? Don't you know this? Don't you know that Christianity doesn't actually have any relevance to 21st century modern life? Don't you know there's just no evidence for it? You know, even just a simple brief look at that final one shows that that's just not the case. You know, have you looked seriously at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? You know, we take time on Alpha to kind of go through this and to talk about this. Just one comment on that. Uh, the Bishop of Durham, the ex, sorry, the ex-Bishop of Durham, Tom Wright from a few years ago, just up the road here, um, said, Do you know, the historical claim in Christianity that you have an empty tomb and personal uh, meetings with Jesus, people experiencing personal meetings with Jesus means when you put those together, that's weightier than you think. So if you have just an empty, if you just have people claiming personal meetings with Jesus after he was resurrected, then you can say, well, actually, that you know, that happens a lot. Actually, people claim to see loved ones after they've died. That can happen quite often. All they had to do was open the tomb and bring out Jesus' rotting corpse and say, look, there it is. If you just had claims of an empty tomb, well, they'd say, well, that's no claim of resurrection. That's simply just someone's robbed the tomb. Someone's just taken the body. But actually, Tom Wright says, when you put these two together, do you know, that's far more weightier than you can imagine. And uh, he quotes, he makes a quote, which I've had to write down for you, because it's quite long, and so I've got it on there. Oh, there we go. He says this, the claims of Christianity are both of them. He says, the early Christians didn't invent the empty tomb and the meetings and sightings of the risen Jesus. No one was expecting this kind of thing. No kind of conversion experience would have invented it, no matter how guilty or, for, or how forgiven they felt no matter how many hours they poured over the scriptures, to suggest otherwise is to stop doing history and enter into a fantasy world of our own. See, people can be so intent on having a reason to reject Jesus that that's exactly what they do. And I wanted to say, if you're here today and that's you, I'd really encourage you To check out the claims of Christianity. I'd really encourage you, why don't you come on our next Alpha course in the new year? Why don't you come along on our Sundays through December as we look at the Christmas story and as we talk more about Jesus? Why don't you take a little booklet that we have on our welcome table called Why Jesus? A little red booklet. You can take it away today. Be open to investigating him. But actually, it goes more deeper than that. It goes more deeper than just saying, do you know, looking for reasons to reject Jesus is just something we do in our modern society. Actually, the Bible says it points to a much deeper problem. It points to a deeper problem in human beings like you and me. At the heart of human beings, the Bible says, is a commitment to reject Jesus, a commitment to reject God and everything he is. So, integrity means not prejudging Jesus' message. Secondly, it means Jesus says who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is, sorry. See, these leaders are so intent on condemning Jesus. They start questioning him. They get no response. They try a different question. Maybe we can trap him with his own words. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? See, in order to understand, um, uh, in order to understand this, we need to understand what they're asking him and what his answer is. So let's look at what they're asking. They're saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's going to come and save Israel? Are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to release us from this bondage we're in? Are you going to bring Israel back to its former glory? Are you the one that God sent for us? Actually, answering yes to this might not be blasphemy. They were waiting for a Messiah. They believed God would send one. But they don't just ask this. Actually, they ask, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? See, that phrase, the Son of the Blessed One, is kind of like, it's kind of a way of saying the name of God without actually saying it. God's name was too holy to say. It was even too holy to kind of speak his, speak the name of God. But actually, this would be a phrase that they would use to refer to, to refer to God. Are you the son of the blessed one? It'd be a way of saying, is that who you're saying you are? And then Jesus' answer is this, I am, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one, Coming out in the clouds of heaven. Again, it's a way of saying, "I'm God," without actually using the word God. We haven't got time to look into it, but it's taken from uh, the Book of Daniel and uh, it's taken from Psalm 110, and it's kind of a mixture of both. And they would have known, they would have known their Old Testaments, and they would have known exactly what Jesus is saying and what he's claiming. Sounds a bit cryptic, a bit confusing to us, doesn't it, when you first read it? It's all this about clouds of heaven and coming on, uh, all this. But do you know, their response, sorry, their, on their hearing, they were clear what Jesus was responding to. See, this is one of the clear claims of Christianity, that Jesus is God. God. That he claimed to be God in the flesh. God coming to earth. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? That God cared enough about human mankind to enter our world as a baby born to an unmarried teenage mother in the Middle East 2,000 years ago and chose to live like you and I. Chose to not simply just kind of hide behind a human shell, but actually to live as a man. Still fully God, but as a man. And experiencing what it meant to live in our world right now. Experiencing hunger, joy, tiredness, sorrow. And growing up and beginning a movement. And gathering people to himself... And saying that actually the rule and reign of God was here because he was here. And that if they were encountering him, they were encountering God. But for the high priest, do you know, Jesus' answer was total blasphemy. Total blasphemy. He tears his clothes in some kind of symbolic act of outrage, rips them. So he could now take Jesus to the Roman authorities and say, look, here's a rebel king. Comparing himself to your Caesar. And he could take him to the Jewish people and say, here is a false prophet, a blasphemer that deserves death. Thirdly, integrity means Jesus can always be trusted. See, immediately after this event in the court... Mark follows it up with Jesus, Peter, uh, Jesus with Peter's denial of Jesus. Peter denies Jesus three times, as we read. See, this is Peter who, hours earlier, had said, "Look, everyone else will, um, everyone else will abandon you, but I won't. I won't abandon you, Jesus." And Jesus said, "Actually, no, no. Do you know you'll deny me three times, even tonight?" Peter's saying, you know, everyone else is flaky. But you know what? I'm the real deal. Everyone else is just... It's just all surface... it's, It's surface level to them. I'm the real deal, Jesus. I won't forsake you. And then what happens? The first sign of a hint of danger. Peter denies knowing Jesus. But get this. It's thought that the book of Mark was written that Mark was writing after hearing and spending lots and lots of time with Peter in Rome that's how it's understood that the book of Mark was written so so he's writing his book based on peter 's accounts based on um, uh, uh, Peter's stories to him. that means that Peter must have told this story to Mark for Mark to include in his gospel. Why would you tell someone about your biggest failure? If it was me, I would have left this one out. Would you? I would have covered this one up. Oh, it was another dis- and another disciple said something, or, you know, well, just don't, don't include that one in, Mark. But he doesn't. Do you know, I thank God that he doesn't. Because actually what we see is this striking difference between Jesus questioned by the religious leaders and saying who he is, declaring who he is, and Peter being questioned by a servant girl, a few others that are around, and rejecting Jesus. See, Jesus, Peter thought he knew who Jesus was. He thought he knew all about Jesus. I'll be with you. I'll make a stand with you. You and me, Jesus. But when it came to it, He was full of fear and he chose the easy option. Do you know, in in a similar way, he does the same as what the religious leaders do. He rejects Jesus. This is what it comes down to. Peter chose to save his life. Jesus chose to lose it perhaps you've been around the last few months as we've been talking through the book of Mark. We looked at Mark chapter 8, where Jesus actually says, you know, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. See, something else is going on in Jesus giving up his life. There's something else happening Because what looks at simply just an unjust execution? God is working out his plans. Something much bigger is going on. You know, in the death of Jesus, God is dealing with all that sin, all that disobedience of humankind. The punishment for our rejection of God was taken by Jesus, the separation that our rejection had caused between us and God was being dealt with at the cross. See, the danger is to see this passage simply as a good moral story that helps us how to live. A kind of moral that says, look, just try and live more like Jesus. Have more courage like Jesus and not like Peter. Now, that's not the message of the passage. The message of this passage is, see that Jesus is the only one who is faithful. Faithful enough to endure death, to lay down his life. See that the answer to our rejection of God isn't found anywhere else, only other than in Jesus. See, Peter thought the answer was in him, I'll never let you down, Jesus, because I'm I'm pretty good. I'm made of some good stuff, Jesus. I won't let you down. That's where his confidence was. It was in him. It was in the wrong place. And he discovers that he needs to put it in the right place. And he does. And if you read on um, in the Bible, you see that Jesus lovingly restores Peter after his resurrection. Now what do we do with all this? As we wind up, what do we do with all this? See, perhaps you're aware that in your life, just like Peter, you've built, on, you've built confidence on things other than Jesus. You've built your hope on education, on your health, on money, on children, on the people around you. You've built your confidence even on yourself. But these aren't wrong things. But we just get ourselves into problem after problem after problem when we make them the central thing of our life and where we put our confidence. Do you know, Jesus is saying today, see that I am worth putting your confidence in. In fact, I'm the only thing, the only person worth putting your confidence in. And perhaps you're aware, you've just let your confidence drift to other things. It's it's just drifted. I know it's, it's not in Jesus. It's drifted to other things. Listen, today, he wants to lovingly draw you back to himself and draw you back to putting your confidence in him. Perhaps you're aware of a situation you're facing this week. That person, that meeting, that day I've got to face this week, that decision, do you know the answer is not in you? It's not. It's in Jesus. The answer's in his good news message. Not that everything will go okay, everything will be fine and everything will be rosy. No, no. But that in he's committed to you. Committed to being beside you. Committed to strengthening you. Committed to making you more like him through difficult times. And do you know there's an amazing promise in this passage, if that's you, there's an amazing promise in this passage that we can sometimes miss and just kind of roll over. When Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven, he's saying, do you know, you religious guys, do you know, I'm going to complete what I've been called to do. I will be vindicated. There will be a day coming very, very shortly, as it were then, where my death will achieve what it's meant to achieve to rescue and restore those who put their trust in me. Listen, let your confidence be in him. He will not let you down. He didn't in front of those religious leaders. He didn't at the cross. He doesn't today. And he never will. That's integrity. That is integrity. Or maybe you know that Just like those religious leaders. You've been rejecting Jesus. You know, and anything, any real reason to do will do. But you just know you've been rejecting him. But today, perhaps you're aware that he's just, he's reaching out to you today. He's saying, you know, stop, stop rejecting me. Look, you haven't, you haven't blown it with me. He doesn't call us to sort out all our problems first before we come to him. Actually, he says, come to me. He doesn't say you need to be sorted first. He says, come to me. Hey, we'll work on those things as we walk through life together. He says, no, no, come come and receive forgiveness in me first. Let that change you. Come and live a life with me. Allow that to change you, not the other way around. I want us to pray and uh, respond in a song, if that's okay. Why don't we stand? Perhaps if you've got your your earphones on, don't stand, because then you might not be able to hear. Uh, But why don't we stand and pray, if the band could come up, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we see from this passage you say you are who you say you are. And you didn't shrink back from losing your life, but you gave it up. You gave it up. And because of that, We are restored to the Father. We are made clean. Thank you that because of that, we're able to come to you. We're able to put our confidence in you. Perhaps you're just aware that you've just let your confidence slip and go into other places and fall on other things and trust more on other things. Just for a minute, say, Jesus, I'm... I'm choosing to put my trust, my confidence in you. For That thing this week, I'm choosing to trust in you. Or perhaps you're here and you don't know Jesus. You've never decided to put your trust in him. You can do that right now. It's it's as if he is reaching out to you saying, look, come to me. Come and know true life. Come and Come and know what it is to be restored to God. Come and know what it is to live in the the joy and the freedom of that. As we sing this final song, you may want to just, in your heart, say that. Lord, I'm coming coming to you. I'm choosing to make a step towards you this morning. And uh, as we do it, we're going to take our offering as well. If you're a visitor here, if you're here because of um, one of the families that was being, uh, the children being dedicated, you know, you're more than welcome not to give. There's no pressure to give. Um, It's primarily for people who are here, week in, week out, Um, as an opportunity for them to give. Um, But we're gonna do that in response as well, as we sing together.